When injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopaedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to care and the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Noah Billingsley, and you're listening to The Sound of the Loons. or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound Balloons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm joined by Callum Williams. Cal, here's what I've been listening to today. Duke Ellington. Are you familiar with the man? No, I'm not. You'll have to educate me. Okay. He's uh, one of the titans of American popular music. He uh, led a big band uh, in the, f- the first half of the, the 20th century, uh, innovated the form a lot, um, is mostly known as a band leader, but is also a fantastic pianist in his own right, sort of in his own unique way. He's, he's, he's got his own flavor to how he plays piano. And uh, what I've been listening to is this album called Money Jungle, which came out um, back in the day, I believe it was in 1960, mid-60s, I think, I want to say. And um, it was with him and then uh, Charles Mingus on bass, who's another legend, and then Max Roach on the drums, who's another legend, doing a, a trio set, which is really fantastic. Uh, they were sort of of different generations. Um, Duke Ellington was in his 60s at the time, and Mingus and Roach were like late 30s, early 40s. And uh, they didn't really get, get along, apparently, uh, at the session. Uh, Mingus walked out partway through and then had to be talked into coming back. Um, they're all very sort of strong personalities in their own right, especially Mingus and Ellington. But, uh, and then they didn't even rehearse, apparently, before this, this recording. They just did it. And this is what you hear on the record is them playing the songs uh, that day. But it has this great kind of like, angular rough feel it feels a little bit contentious like they're wrestling with each other a little bit musically as well uh really super great so uh my friend martin dosh uh, who's a local musician had mentioned it on facebook uh which took me back to that and then later on today i moved on to one of my uh other favorite ellington albums which is called and his mother called him bill which was recorded as a tribute to ellington's co-songwriter Billy Strayhorn. Uh, they worked together for about 25 years, and then Strayhorn died in 1967 from from cancer, and he was only 51 at the time. And Ellington recorded this album with his uh, his big band, um, recording a bunch of of, of uh, Billy Strayhorn's compositions. He wrote "Take the A Train," which is probably the the num- the song most associated with Ellington. Um, it's a great big band album. There's a ton of really good arrangements. It sounds fantastic, but kind of the, the, the most interesting and compelling part of it, I thought uh, there's the last song on the, on the album is, is a, a version of Lotus Blossom, which was written by Strayhorn uh, that Ellington played it was sat down and played at the piano as the band is like packing up and they, they had the tapes going. So they just kept recording it, but it's just him playing solo at the piano and you can hear like guys kind of chatting but it's a beautiful song it's a beautiful ballad uh and it's it's got that it's kind of one of those unique things where they capture something at a great moment and uh and and i recommend either of those albums so money jungle or and his mother called him bill that's what i've been listening to today as i've been here 
working. Um, do you have any music recommendations, even traveling? So have you, do you listen to music when you travel, Cal? Not really. Um, I, I, it's something I've been meaning to fix for a while, actually, and try and get some, some music on, on the, the iPhone and, and what have you. But um, yeah, I mean, as, as you and, and I suspect many others now, I've probably bored people to death for years um, by my um, continuation um, of, of talking about Oasis, that's that's my uh, <laughs> my band. That's that's I will always continue to listen. Um, you know, and uh, you know, I, I tell you what, Steve, I listen to um, uh, and it's still very much in the Oasis realm. But I, I've listened to a few of Liam Gallagher's new tracks on, mm-hmm. on the the newish album. It's about six months old now, I think. But um, yep, always good, always really good stuff. Um, obviously, it's an acquired taste. If you like Oasis, you'll like this stuff. Sure. Not, then you probably won't. So, um, yeah, no, I'll I, I tell you what, Steve, I'm terrible with music. I, I used to be really, really, you know, as a teenager and stuff, I, I sure. used to, most people used to be really into it, used to listen to the top 40 in England. You, you have the, the top 40 and there's like a show on the radio and it and it counts down and, and plays the music. And I used to listen to it every Sunday. Um, I used to be really into my music, used to go to a lot of gigs and everything. And I, I couldn't, I could not tell you who's number one in the charts right now. I couldn't tell you, I, I might recognize one or two new artists, but that's because I've probably stumbled across their music whilst it's on the radio and I'm driving around or what have you. And um, I, I'm terrible. I'm getting yeah. old, Steve, is what it is. And I, I just, it's terrible. It's absolutely awful. And I need to find music again. I need to find a reinvigoration of some sort, but I, I'm struggling. Yeah. It's all about Oasis. Yeah, I hear you, Cal. I mean, I... I held on to it maybe a little longer than, I mean, I'm older than you, so I held on a little bit longer than you, but also I'm, I'm a musician, so I was a little more involved in in it sort of generally. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, I know like Ariana Grande and, and Billie Eilish and a couple of those people, but... Um, Got it, really? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, you know, beyond that, uh, I, I know nothing. I know very little of hip-hop nowadays is another thing that, like, I feel like I've missed the boat on a lot of that stuff. I love Kendrick Lamar, and there's there's still artists that I like, but, like, I any of the Lils, I don't know any of the Lils, like the Lil, Lil Boosie, Lil Baby, Lil, any of the Lils, so I don't know anything about any of that. Let's talk about things we do know about. Soccer. Uh, the Super Draft is in a week. Uh, we're not going to talk. We're not going to go big on the Super Draft right now because it's in a week. So I figured next week we can record this in the morning, maybe before the Super Draft. We can. But the one thing I will say, because there's a fabulous link here. Apologies for the disturbance. Yeah. There is a link between music and the Super Draft. I keep hearing um, that one of the top prospects is a chap named Calvin Harris. So there you go. There's okay. a difference and, and, you know, into the draft. So there you go. Sorry, I just wanted to, you know, bring that to your attention. <laughs> you're, you're, you're putting the pieces together. That's fantastic. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about the draft. I have to do some more, some more research. Also, this is, you know, now that Minnesota United is, is making the playoffs and stuff like that, <laughs> Minnesota United has the 25th pick of the first round, which is pretty far down, and then the 11th pick of the second round. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it next week. Preview, but just heads up, Super Draft in a week. Um, I thought this was a fun thing that came out this week. James Harden, who plays, who used to play for the Houston Rockets, was traded to the Brooklyn Nets this week. Um, and then it, it, this was pointed out by the, uh, the MLSsoccer.com. Uh, he is now the third MLS owner 
on the Brooklyn Nets roster. Uh, James Harden has a stake in the Houston Dynamo. Uh, used to play for the Houston Rockets. Kevin Durant has a stake in the Philadelphia Union, which is recent. And then head coach Steve Nash has had a stake in the Vancouver Whitecaps since 2008. So you have three MLS owners on one NBA uh, staff slash roster, which I find really interesting. That's pretty cool. I hope there's some MLS banter in that Brooklyn Nets locker room. You know, it's yeah. about, you know, oh, okay, well, how's some of that money after you sold off one of your prospects to Genk for $6 million? I think, oh, it, it's it's great, no problem at all. You know, how how are the the, you know, um, how's the money in your back pocket after you sold one of your centre forwards to Monterey or or wherever Maromano ended up in the end? I can't remember, but yeah, uh, yeah the, the the banter in the locker room, I'm sure, would be uh, would be hilarious. We what we need to do is we need to find somebody who um, has an in at the Brooklyn Nets, and we need we we need to make this happen. Don't we? we need to put a camera in the locker room or something of them having MLS banter in an NBA locker room. How cool is that, you know? Yeah. Well, I say what we do is uh, make that connection. Then we get James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Steve Nash on this show, and we can talk MLS. Uh, well, you can do that with your NBA contacts, can't you? Probably. I'm sure they're not too busy. Um, you know, the it, it seems like Kevin Durant probably has it the best right now with the union. Um Although, you know, obviously the, the Whitecaps uh, sold Alfonso Davies and that was uh, quite, quite valuable, right? So, um, I don't know. You know, who, 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 who do you think is, is top dog amongst uh, those, those owners then right now via their MLS team? You, you probably say Kevin Durant because, because of the union's strong finish to the season. Um, and obviously, um, they just made a, a $6 million profit as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I would assume that um, Kevin Durant would, would be the one who was able to gloat and uh, walk around with his chest out. And, you know, obviously the union won the supporter shield and, and, and had the best of, of the season because the other two, um, Houston and Vancouver, didn't even make the playoffs. Right. So I would assume Kevin Durant has plenty of banter in his back pocket right now. But like I said, I just, I want to record it because... Yeah. That's so cool having MLS banter in an NBA locker room. That's, I mean, when do we think we would we would say that? You know, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, if if we if we start seeing any uh, uh, draft picks or allocation orders being traded amongst these teams, I'm going to wonder if there weren't like bets happening like late night over <laughs> over point totals or rebound totals or something like that. So we'll just we'll just we'll just keep an eye on any 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 connections there. <laughs> do you reckon that could happen actually? That. Steve Nash would just hand Kevin Durant like 250 grand of allocation money. So here you go. Here's for the draft pick in the next draft or something. Or right. here's the player. That, that, maybe that happens at some stage. Who knows? <laughs> it happens in, I mean, you see it a little bit in, in, in MLS to a certain extent. And I think you see it sometimes in, like in the NBA, um, for a long time, the Celtics and the Timberwolves, uh, there was a lot of track between the two teams. I believe sort of based on the fact that Danny Ainge was in, in, in Boston and Kevin McHale was in Minnesota and they both played on the Celtics together. And so you do see some of those connections uh, sort of coming out um, as, as the teams that have people who have relationships. So it's not impossible to me that there's, I mean, I don't know what percentage stake each of these people have. I think Steve Nash is probably the most personally invested in it since he was a soccer player and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, 
it, it, it'll be it'll be interesting to keep track of. Speaking of connections between players and their old teams, we're going to go into the coaching, uh, some of the coaching changes that have been going on around MLS. That's sort of what's been stirring uh, the pot the last the last week or so. Uh, Greg Vanny going to the LA Galaxy. We were going to talk about it last week, and then we ran out of time. Uh, Greg Vanny played for the LA Galaxy, uh, which is one of those things that teams. It's a. It, I feel like from the PR side, teams really lean into that idea of. Uh, players having played for the team before do you think that really matters like at all as far as how successful a coach is going to be if they've played for the team before like you know say it's been a decade ago or 15 years ago or something I wouldn't say it's compulsory and an absolute necessity but I think it helps Steve because obviously there's there's an element of familiarity um the manager coming in possibly understands how the club works already and there isn't that need to to have the the culture conversation it, it depends on the ownership group if it's changed or not since and and the maybe there's a new ceo or gm or something and and, and you would assume they'd have those conversations there anyway but um I, I think um it depends really on on um the spell that that individual had as a player really if you spent you know a year and made 15 appearances then you know not so much but if yeah. you spend 10 years at a club and it really means a lot to you when you made 250 appearances then of course it's it's going to mean a great deal to you to to become the head coach of that team so um i think yes and no probably the best way to answer that it, it, it depends steve on on what the player or slash manager um had in terms of experience prior to taking over as the head coach um, at that particular club Sure. And I think for Vanny, you know, it, it I, obviously the Galaxy, maybe in terms of MLS, it, with their track record, and obviously their recent track record has not been so good, but their track record as a club it do bring a certain degree of like historical, um, like, uh, institutional knowledge, like right, the Galaxy is there's sort of a certain identity in MLS, which is as a glitz team, as a team that's going to bring in big name players. And Vanny, obviously coming from having played for for LA, uh, understands that. And then having coached in Toronto, where they had Juvinko and Josie Altador, and bringing Alejandro Pozuelo, like he knows he knows how to work with players who are massively talented and gotten them to work together, which is sort of one of the big things like the galaxy are not going to stop. They're not going to suddenly stop signing big name players and turn into like, you know, a struggling scrappy team. It's like, they're going to bring in those names and they need a coach who knows how to, how to work with them. And I think Vanny brings that from Toronto. Absolutely. It does. That's um, some stellar and very valid points there, Steve, because I, the galaxy, the galaxy are going to go and, and and bring in another big name or two. It's just the way that they operate. Um, and as you say, Greg Vanny has proven he can handle big names. Um, and I, look, I mean, I, I I thought it was a really smart hire when, when this all sort of surfaced. Um, it was essentially um, a two three days after um, Greg Vanny was uh, was no longer the Toronto manager. I was certainly hearing that the Galaxy didn't mess around and made an immediate approach. Um, and then, you know, it was just before the holidays, so I think everybody sort of laid low, and then they got back to uh, talking and, and what have you. And then, obviously, um, obviously they got the deal done. So uh, I believe he's a, th- a Southern California chap as well. He's born and raised there, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, it, perhaps that can go back to what you were saying earlier on about, you know, sort of, being from the area and whatnot and having experience in the area with the club or whatnot. I don't know what his experiences were, but um, look, I, I think it's right now, 
if you think about it, Steve, apart from somebody like a Peter Vermees, I can't think of anybody right now, an American in Major League Soccer, an American coach in Major League Soccer, who is probably as attractive as Greg Vanny that was available. I can't really think of anybody. Um, I mean, Matias Almeida had the hair, so he looked really good. I mean, I mean, in terms of um, attractive, in terms of you know what he's done, resume. Oh, okay. <laughs> Peter Vermees is also a good-looking man, by the way. Uh, yes, it looks like the um, the I think what was, what was his name? You know the the uh, the sergeant from Small Soldiers. He looks like the you know, <laughs> the, the, you know. <laughs> he's got the silver fox thing going on. He's got that tight yeah, haircut. Yeah, yeah. It's a good look. It's a good look. Um, so no, I I, I think um, I can't think off the top of my head, Steve, of, of an American coach um, that was available that had been in MLS that was as attractive to a franchise as Greg Vanny is and and was. So I think the Galaxy have gone out and they've um, they've had a touch, they've had a, a bit of fortune in the sense that that someone like him was available. Um, but fair play to them and those um, that. Um, run that franchise that they didn't mess about they went and got him and they went and got the best man um, who was available and uh, you know I'm interested to see what they do in terms of building the roster together they've already addressed one issue and they've, they've, they've brought in a new goalkeeper and Jonathan Bond from West Bromwich Albion in the Premier League um, and, and this continued trend of of players of that sort of level that that aren't quite Premier League ready but they're certainly more than capable of playing in the championship and, that, and that's by no means is, is that a bad thing at all. Championship for me is one of the top six or seven leagues in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and those types of players are coming into Major League Soccer. It is a continuing trend. Um, but it's uh, it, it's good to see them not messing around. Um, and they've gone and, and sorted out an issue. Uh, and I say that with all due respect to, to David uh, Bingham, but he's just not an LA Galaxy goalkeeper. And, and what I mean by that is there is a certain level expected. There is a certain expectation whether or not um, Jonathan Bond is, we'll wait and see. But at least they're trying to try something new and address the issue. Yeah, and that you know that kind of move is again, as I said before, a thing that you are going to expect from the Galaxy. And they're always one of those teams that is, you know, at the start of every season, they always have the talent on paper to to contend. Um, you know, it, it isn't always it doesn't always happen. Some of that is on them. Some of that is just because you know, as we've seen every season. You know, any team I was looking at the um, and we'll talk about it a little bit on, on MLS, uh, the MLS soccer dot com um, teams that could move up or down. It's like any team can you, know, you can look at it before the season and go like this team has the potential to move up. This team has the potential to move down. You know, there's going to be one team that should be good. That's terrible. And one team that looks awful that that makes that makes it happen for them. That's just sort of the nature of MLS. Um, so keeping on the coaching uh, train and, and then into the position that Greg uh, Vanny left or was remo- mutually left or whatever from Toronto FC, Chris Armas uh, announced as the new head coach there, uh, previous experience with, uh, with Red Bulls. Um, this, I think this is a, it's going to be a tough gig. I think that um, I was thinking about it and if you look at the Galaxy, you know, it's a team that's perennially, you know, hope, hopeful, but also has not been, has been woeful more than hopeful in the last couple of years. Uh, so to come in as the coach there and know that you, you're going to get good players, you got to make them work. Uh, Chris Armas comes into a team that has been good 
uh, and sort of just detonated, you know, at the end of the season, but has been a perennial challenger, has been a fantastic team in the Eastern Conference. It's very difficult, I think, to take a team that's been good and still is essentially as good on paper as Toronto is and make them like take them to another level more than if you come into a situation where the team has not been succeeding and you want to get them up to that good level. I think, I think it gets harder and harder to make a team inch up from that good level. And Toronto has been consistently good the last several years, Cal. Yeah, and I know they're talking to several designated player possibilities as well. Um, so you would assume they would improve from last year. The question is, is Chris Armas the man to actually take them forward? Um, I know for a fact he wasn't the first choice. Um, they had spoken to uh, one or two others. Uh, Chris Armas was always on the shortlist. He was always an option for them. But I, I don't think, I, I know he wasn't the first choice. And I'm not, I'm not necessarily uh, throwing shade at Chris Armas here at all because he's a mm-hmm. good manager. He's been proven um, that he can manage in this league. Uh, did, did well with the Red Bulls in his first season. Uh, obviously, um, the new regime, uh, Kevin Thelwell, the, the new, uh, newish GM uh, at the Red Bulls, uh, has his own ideas. Obviously, they've brought in a new coach as well. Um, so uh, I, I thought Chris Armas would get another shot somewhere but I'll be honest, Steve, I didn't think it would be somewhere of the calibre of Toronto FC. I, I thought, and again, I say this with all due respect, I, I had heard that he had interviewed for the DC United job. And I thought that would probably be a really good fit because as storied as that club are uh, and the history they have, for a long time now, you, you, you know, we, we've not really had the opportunity to, to describe DC as a Major League Soccer powerhouse. They've always been sort of a middle-of-the-road if they get to the playoffs, good season, but we're not going to be surprised if they don't either. E- even with someone like Wayne Rooney at their disposal, mm-hmm. um, they've not really been someone you would continuously expect to be challenging. So I thought that made sense. And I must admit, when I saw the news yesterday that, that Armas had signed for Toronto, I was very surprised. Um, so we'll wait and see. Um, like I said, I, I, I expected Toronto to go for a big name. Again, I say this with all due respect, the Armas appointment, um, it, it does feel slightly underwhelming. Um, and, I, and I think I, that's not even any, any fault of his own, really. I think that's because of, of the way that Toronto FC have gone about their business before. Right. The names they were linked with, the names that they certainly spoke to. Um, I, I think the whole thing is quite underwhelming at the moment. But um, having seen Chris Armas' character, I, I don't know him at all. But having seen his character and the way he, he seems to operate, he seems to enjoy a challenge. He seems to enjoy proving people wrong. And what better way to do that than taking over somewhere like Toronto? Yeah, absolutely. I think that, I mean, what I mostly remember Chris Armas for is when he went to go shake Tata Martinez's hand and, uh-huh. and, and, and Martinez was kind of sore yeah. and he wouldn't shake his hand and he kind of, I was like, this, this guy, um, which was great. And I feel like that character, there's a little, there's a little New York in there. It feels like that would seem appropriate for the, for New York Red Bulls. But, mm-hmm. um, but again, you know, sort of to the point you're, what, what you were saying, what I was saying about taking a good team to make them better, taking over a team like DC United, that sort of perpetually underperformed or has not lived up to um, what everybody hopes for that in some ways it's like, okay, well, if you just get them to the playoffs consistently, then you're doing your job. Whereas Toronto, you're expected to, you know, contend in, in not just MLS, but contend in other competitions as well. That's the thing that they've done. Um, and Armas comes from Red Bulls, which is, they were a very good team, but, you know, like, again, sort of doing it 
in with with homegrowns, doing it with uh, tough defense, with pressing high, with a sort of a system. They obviously had uh, Bradley Wright Phillips, um, you know, under him, and a good goal scorer, but not like a spry young star striker. He's sort of on, on, the, on the back half of his career. So it's going to be interesting to see how Arms deals with having personalities um, like Pozuelo, presumably, who seems like, you know, he doesn't seem like a flamboyant, difficult guy by any means, but he's certainly, I mean, he's a, he's a reigning MVP winner. Um, that's going to bring challenges. You know, you're dealing with guys like, um, you know, Altidore, figuring out, you know, uh, rotations and things like that. It's a little different than, than the vibe was at Red Bulls, I would say, with with Chris Armas. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It will be. Um, and, and in the latest managerial news as well, Steve, um, I, I'm still down in, in Miami and the, the rumour is here. It seems to be out there now anyways that, that Phil Neville will mm-hmm. be taking over the, the job here, which is another strange one for me. I understand the link with, with David Beckham obviously being the man leading the charge here, but... Um, you know, um, there's been some interesting appointments. There really has. Um, Gabriel Ainz uh, taking over um, at Atlanta United as well will be very, very mm. interesting. If that's um, as long as they give him time, you know, you, you can't just expect success straight away. And I know Atlanta United want success straight away um, because of how they they started life in Major League Soccer under under Tata Martino. But you have to you have to be patient. He's known as a an upcoming manager in South America, Einstein, uh, did very well in previous stints in, um, around Argentina. Um, I, to my knowledge, was offered the Chilean national team job and, and very nearly took it, but was persuaded to go to Atlanta. And my, my point is here, Steve, is that there's, there's a, a couple of, of new faces in Major League Soccer, um, and it'll be interesting to see how they, how they do, because not everybody tends to do as well as you would think coming into a new situation. And, and my overall point, Steve, is that I think the Galaxy have been the smart ones here mm-hmm. in bringing in the most readily available um, and, and someone who, who absolutely defines um, success in, in Major League Soccer. He, he turned, Greg Vanny turned around Toronto FC from, from I mean, let's be honest, they, they were mediocre when he took over. And they both took a chance on each other. Uh, because Vanny was unproven as well. He was assistant manager at Chivas USA. was really the only coaching experience yeah. he had. Um, and look what he did, you know. So he's proven himself. Um, this is an opportunity for him to go to um, a club that is still viewed as the biggest in Major League Soccer, regardless of, of what you think of them. That's how they are viewed globally. Um, and uh, I, I think they've made the right decision. But it, 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 for so long, it was always the other way around, where the Galaxy would go and get the glitzy name, or they'd go and get... The South American name, like they did with the last manager as well, and it just it just didn't work out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to see what happens, but um, I, I think the Galaxy have uh, have won this round of the managerial merry-go-round. Um, yeah, and I have to uh, apologize. I realize I refer to Tato Martino as Martinez. This is a problem I constantly have because Joseph Martinez and Pity Martinez and this is the sort of Atlanta Martinez contingent. So Tato Martino. Um, Phil Neville, let's touch on that briefly. It wasn't a thing I thought that much about. I don't know that much about Phil Neville other than the connection with Beckham. The immediate blush of everything I saw was, gives me the the Frank DeBoer vibe of like, this doesn't seem like a fit with the idea of what Inter-Miami is supposed to be. What, like, as somebody who obviously you're familiar with with, uh, English football, uh, you know, what's what's the deal with Phil Neville? What are some of the issues that people are seeing before this actually happens, if it does happen? Well, at, at the moment, he's the manager of the women's national team um, and has done well. He's done okay. Um, he's been linked with a couple of other jobs in the past. Um, 
being a rank outsider, <laughs> I don't think he's ever been a favourite for a job. He, he was an assistant coach with his brother Gary at Valencia for a little while, mm-hmm. um, which, which didn't go too well at all. Um, and I must admit, I, I never sort of thought to myself long term that Phil Neville would, would go and, and be a manager somewhere. Um, I, I understand, well, I, look, I, myself and Kindra spoke about this a while ago. I didn't understand the appointment when, when he was made the national team manager, the England national team manager, women's national team manager. I, I didn't understand it. Um, he had no experience in the women's game. Um, he didn't have a great track record as a coach. Um, not a ton of experience. I think the FA just went for a name mm-hmm. um, that the majority of the English public would have been familiar with. Um, and I'm not suggesting that's what's going to happen here, but obviously David Beckham and Phil Neville, for, for those unaware, came through the academy together at Manchester United, have been close friends for a long time, um, and um, they are part owners of a fourth division team in England called Salford City. Um, they're close friends. So this does feel as though David Beckham is saying to Phil Neville, Come over here, mate. This is good. This is this will be really good for you from a coaching point of view. It's an opportunity for you. Um, I'm just not sure I buy it, Steve, because to my knowledge, um, and certainly this is my opinion, I, I would have I would have gone to Patrick Vieira and offered him whatever he wanted. And and even before I'd spoken to one or two people down here in Miami, that seems to be their choice as well. At mm-hmm. least from a realistic point of view, and someone who's available now, of course, there's other names that their sure. fans want, but um, realistically, that seemed to be the one. Um, and I've, after what seemed to be um, fairly promising rumours and whispers last week, um, all of a sudden now, I'm hearing that Phil Neville is done, and he's going to be in Miami sooner rather than later. Um, so we'll, we'll wait and see. Um, I often wonder, Steve, what the right option is for a market like this as well. I've learned now, having spent more time than I ever have done in, in this market over the last two weeks, that you do need a certain type of manager. You do need a certain type of football to attract people. I, again, I'm continuously told that Miami franchises in any sport are notorious for, for not turning up, mm-hmm. um, regardless of how well the team is doing, that the Miami Heat still comes up in conversation down here. Um, and, and when LeBron was fabulous, no one was turning up. Um, so I just wonder if Phil Neville will help attract the demographic. I'm not entirely convinced at all, but we'll wait and see. Yeah, we know we know from from Adrian and yourself that uh, the, the pasty Englishmen are allergic to sunlight and uh, <laughs> the beach, right? So we'll see we'll see how he adjusts. Uh, all right, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers. With convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team, you're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. All right, turning to Minnesota United, who we haven't mentioned that much uh, so far in this show, a lot of other MLS news. Um, I was, again, perusing MLS.com. That's not its name. Uh, and J. Sam Jones, uh, contributor, did this five teams that might take a step up, five teams that might take a step back. And he pegged 
Minnesota United is a team that might take a step back this season. Uh, pretty upfront, he said he just want, wanted Adrian Heath to pay attention to him and, and, and ream him out for saying that thing. Um, but, you know, there's, there's something to it. As I thought about it, this is, this is going to be a long point. Okay, so J. Sam Jones' concerns are mostly pegged around players getting older, uh, which I don't really see as a huge issue based on how I understand how the team is being built. You know, like it points out that Ozzy Alonso is is 35. Um, Ozzy is not a done deal yet as far as he comes back, but it's not he's not going to be an every game starter uh, this season at 35. He's pointing out that Boxy is 32, but Boxy is arguably ageless. He played every game last season. Uh, you know, Opara, Ike Opara will be 32. He also didn't play most of last year and it, they did all right. Um, but as I was thinking about it, I am mindful of the fact that in some ways MNUFC sort of played over their heads last year based on expectations. I mean, we sort of talked about this a little bit as the season was winding down, but you know, before the season, I thought a home playoff game and a win it would be reasonable expectation. And we got to run to the conference finals um, following a year in which by the end of 2019, I'm pretty sure I had pegged either Ike Opara or Ozzy Alonso as the MVP uh, of the team in 2019 as sort of the most important players on the team. Um, they played a total of 11 games of 42 possible regular season games and the team went to the conference finals. So there, it's one of these things where there's sort of this, you know, chicken and egg catch 22 thing of like the team has re done really well, despite a lot of, you know, trouble, a lot of missing players, things like that. Um, so does that mean that that is the consistent thing to expect that Adrian Heath gets the most out of these players and, and, and they will outperform sort of their, their talent level or, is it possible that Minnesota United is due, you know, like no team is just going to keep cruising up, you know, we sort of, it's, it's hard to say we've been spoiled because we know we, we've been here since the beginning and we know how tough those first, you know, couple of years were, but the team's sort of gradually gotten better and better and better and better and better. Even with better personnel, it's possible that the season just doesn't, one of these seasons is just not going to go so well. Like, is, is that a thing that's a, it's a thing that's a possibility we said earlier on for any team in MLS, it seems like. Yeah, of course, it's a possibility, Steve, but I, I think it's too early to sort of predict at the moment because there's going to be a lot of changes to the roster. We've already seen, obviously, several individuals depart, yeah. um, and, and there will be some new signings coming in, and that's how the off-season works, you know? <laughs> this is the busiest time of year for the scouting department, and in particular, the recruitment departments, and they are working vigorously around the clock trying to bring in new players, and, and there will be some... Um, some uh, action and uh, hopefully some arrivals over the course of the, um, the next week or so. Um, so I think it's difficult to predict right now, Steve, because we, we could very well sit here and, and say, right, well, this is going to be the starting 11 uh, for whatever the opening game is. Um, but we don't know because it's going to change so much. You know, there's, there's all sorts of rumours going around at the moment in terms of who's Who's coming back? Who's going to leave? Who's going to come in? It, it's just so difficult. I, I, I think whoever the, the journalist is, sorry, I'm not being rude saying that. I, I don't know who the journalist is. Um, I, I think that's incredibly bold to be making statements and predictions at the moment because this league, more than any, <laughs> um, really, really changes. Um, and things can change in an instant. So, But if you're asking me in, in terms of, you know, what the general expectations are. Um, again, I find it difficult to believe that, that Minnesota 
will will fall and, and crumble. And, and I, because for, for me, Steve, again, I, I think a good season, regardless of of what the roster looks like, I think such is the expectation of this franchise now because of what we've seen over the last two years. It has to be playoffs. It has to be playoffs. Um, under the current regime, it has to be playoffs. Um, and, and so I, that, that, that would be what I would say to said journalist right now, is whatever the roster looks like, playoffs have to be the aim. Um, but but I, think, I think it's too early to, to make predictions as of yet, Steve. We, we just don't know what the roster is going to look like. And maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll have this conversation when, when we know what the, <laughs> what the roster looks like and who's going to be starting and... and, and yeah. You know the amount of players that have come in and what have you. You know, we're, sorry, I've not really answered your question there, but I, I, I just, I, I don't know, Steve. I think it's too early to predict yet. You know. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, we all need content. We need stuff to put out, and so why not speculate on some some stuff, <laughs> you know, ahead of the season? So I understand, I understand the impulse to do it, and I mean, I like, I, I see it to some extent. I think you're right, and I think it's a mark of 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 how far the team has come. That you know, an absolute crumbling would be like you know, just missing the playoffs, which mm-hmm. compared to the first couple of seasons is, is tremendous. I think making the playoffs is the expectation. I think losing in the first round of the playoffs would be a huge disappointment at this point. Um, you know, I don't know if we can really expect conference finals every season. This was a totally bizarro season. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that happened along the way that, you know, like teams collapsing, teams rising, teams surging, you know, again, it was hard to predict when all of that stuff was going to happen. So, um, so I don't necessarily go into the season thing, expecting conference finals, but um, I, I agree. I mean, the, the roster is far from, from final. I like a lot of the, the moves so far. Getting Will Trapp is, is a good bit of business. Uh, Callum Montgomery looks like a promising player as far as uh, a, good, a good size defender. So we'll, we'll talk more about those guys again as, as we get closer to, to uh, the season. Um, last thing I want to touch on, a new identity for the Montreal Impacts. Uh, Bienvenue, uh, Club de Foot Montreal. Uh, so that was debuted this morning. It went live, and I watched. I watched the video. Uh, I think that it's really easy. It's the thing I, I, I get a, a lot of sense of because I think from working on the side of the club and knowing what goes into doing something like this, um, it just, this doesn't mean that I don't do this. But uh, you know, I see an identity like this come out, and everybody just immediately would might be like, "It's trash." I'm like, "Listen." A lot of work went into this. So even if you think it's trash, just understand that there's a lot of work that went into it. And I think the first impulse is to figure out like why it doesn't work, why it's silly, like why this doesn't work. I, I think I'd like, I mean, the name, the Club de Foot Montreal is a little unusual. Um, I know they want to lean into the the French identity probably. Um, but I like I like the look of it. I like the colors. I think the, the bad looks pretty good. I like the typeface, which... Uh, they say it was designed in Montreal, but it basically looks like Helvetica uh, bold for me. But I like Helvetica and, and all grotesque type faces or what those are called. So um, I, I think it's pretty good. Have you gotten a chance to check out Club de Foot Montreal, Cal? Yes, I, I watched the um, video that they put out this morning, the, the launch, if you will, of the, of the new logo. Um, I have no problem with the logo at all, Steve. I think it's fine. I think it looks quite nice um it's certainly different to, to what they had in the past i think it's probably a bit different to everything else in major league soccer as well my, my only my only issue with it steve and i said this when when these rumors first started to come out what was it before christmas mm-hmm. um that the um 
club de foot Montreal. <laughs> um, it's going to take some getting used to saying that. Um, and, and this is part of my point. Um, when these rumours first started appearing, my concern was for so long, even when they were not in Major League Soccer, for so long they were known as the impact, le impact. When you walk around the streets of Montreal, they're known as le impact. That's, that's how they're known. Um, and and I, I fear that um, they won't be as easily recognisable um, in the city of Montreal. Um, I fear, I, I think um, from a, a North American perspective, I, I think it'll be fine, but um, I'm not suggesting fans won't turn up or anything like that. I, I just I just worry in terms of, you know, a, a casual fan, you know, perhaps not recognising um, who the team is because of, you know, um, they, they were so recognisable just by simply referring to them as the impact. Right. Um, so, and there's, there's, there's history with that name as well, Steve. You know, they've been the impact for near 25 years now, you know. So I, 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 I question why, why this was needed. Um, but maybe they felt as though they needed to, to freshen things up. Um, you know, you, you could arguably make the same argument for when Kansas City rebranded from the Wizards to, to Sporting KC and look how that went. So, yeah. Um, We'll wait and see, Steve. Um, I, I, I hope I'm wrong, but my first instinct was I think you are, um, you are taking away from your identity by no longer having the impact in your name. Um, but we'll wait and see. Yeah, the, the whole question of a name change, it is one of those things that, you know, it's, it's easy to... It's one of those things that seems very difficult to do. And then once it possesses an organization that they need to do this, it, it can be very easy to just start listening, you know, within the echo chamber of, of an organization and, and say that this needs, this can, this can go down the road a ways before anybody else really has the power to stop it. Um, I mean, you know, like it, this happens with, I was in a band and we decided we wanted to change our name because we didn't feel like our name fit the music we were making. We had like a good following of people. Like, you know, we weren't where we wanted to be, um, you know, but like there was a lot of people who knew us and liked us. We changed our name. We were really excited about the name change. And then like people who knew us didn't come to our shows because they didn't know that it was us. I mean, there's a lot of other reasons why this band was failing right at that moment, but it was like, we changed the name. We're really excited. And then it like, it didn't, it doesn't, it doesn't carry that same weight, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that it's hard to, no matter how good the identity is, no matter how much money you spend on promoting it, you're just automatically losing a certain percentage, not like an unrecoverable percentage, but just like there is a people at the fringes of this, of, of, of sports fandom will be like, what's who is there? No, is there not a football team in Montreal anymore? You know, like it's one of those things that, I mean, I remember when I was just getting into basketball and you would talk about now it seems ridiculous because of how obviously how good they've become. But I'm talking like early 2000s. If you talked about the Golden State Warriors, people would be like, the, like, who? Like, where are they from? I'm like, California. They're like, why aren't they called the California War? You know, it's like the things you build up over time just by being in a market. You, if you give those up, you can't just get them back, no matter how good the stuff looks, you know. And I think I think that's 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 a fair point. I also don't know what we're going to call them. 
just like I'm the person who has to write recaps and, and write about other teams. And so like, there's like a list of things you're, you are able to call other teams. Uh, what else other than club to foot Montreal and Montreal, Montreal, I can't now I'm not having trouble. Is it CF Montreal? Is it one of those? Or, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I want them to have a good, you know, a good thing. It's, it's, it's not, it's not easy. And, and in a league where we're, we're continuously growing franchises. It has to be easy, yeah. and and for there instantly to be an element of confusion, I, I think is a problem. Um, now you have to say uh, CF Montreal, uh, or, or do they identify as just Montreal? But if it, if that conversation comes up in a bar, well, they'll say, okay, you're talking about the Montreal Canadiens or, or whatever other sports teams there are in in Montreal. You know, it's it's no longer the impact it's, yeah. there's no longer that solid identity you know what i mean and, and that's my biggest concern yeah yeah we'll see i mean if they have cool jerseys you know i'm wearing i'm wearing today felt like a nigerian uh day so i'm wearing my nigerian uh, jersey today so uh all right so thanks for joining us for the 125th sound of the loons podcast 125 feels like it's a thing it's, it's another quarter of the way to another 100 125th sound of the loons podcast presented by alina health orthopedics be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and Cal at CalWilliams.com. You can follow me at Steve Venturis. Apologies as always to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are.